everybody. Carl, the producer here, currently uh, locked up in my own little bunker, as I'm sure many of you are this week. So, kind of a crazy time going on out there. But uh, luckily, we had a lot of episodes that were pre-recorded. So it was a little treat to all of you out there in your own little bunkers. Uh, we're doing a special special release. So for the next three days, we're going to be doing one episode a day. And then beyond that, we'll hopefully be picking up our normal schedule, depending on what the world looks like coming up. But today we'll be doing a little special on Irish politics and reproductive rights. So a fun little combo there. Tomorrow, uh, honestly, I haven't edited that one, and I didn't record it, so we'll see what that is. Uh, and then on Friday, we're going to be talking with Marie Pinckney, who is running against uh, David McBride. He's been in office since, well, before I was born. Fun fact. So, yep. Hopefully this is a nice little distraction from what's going on right now, but yeah, left is best. Hope you enjoy. Comrades and friends, this is your Highlands Bunker for the week. Um, we're in the shadow of Rockford Tower, behind enemy lines. We're in the belly of the beast. And we're watching everyone. We know what you're doing, and we're going to fight you every step of the way. The Delaware way. My guest this evening is Nick Beard. Um, Nick is a coordinator at the Center for Sex Education. She has earned a Bachelor's of Laws from Trinity College Dublin, Master's of Laws from the University of Edinburgh, and a Doctorate in Law and Sociology from the University of Sussex in Brighton in the UK. Did I get all that? You did, yep. Word, word. Awesome. Um, Nick is involved with Progressive Democrats of Delaware. She's involved with activism and uh, women's reproductive health. Um, but also, as you can tell from uh, her uh, credentials, uh, ha spent a lot of time in Ireland and in the UK. And in the midst of sort of a turbulent uh, political scene in the United States, what I wanted to do was sort of get some information on a leftist victory uh, that happened um, just recently uh, in Ireland. Uh, the leftist uh, party, uh, Sinn Féin, has won an incredible victory and, and basically broke um, a, a center-right coalition that was, I think, 30 years, probably, something like that? Uh, so the two of them have been in coalition for the past three years, but since the founding of the Irish state, it has been one or the other. Right, so it's been one or the other or in coalition since, yeah, since, since the independence. Yeah, since the founding. Yeah. So let, let's, let's, let's uh, lay the groundwork. So, uh, and you can correct my pronunciations, uh, Fingal and Fianna Fáil. So Fianna Fáil. Fianna Fáil. And Fingal. Fingal. See, I mean, we just call them the, the two the two fail parties. Yeah, and normally for shortness, it'll be FF and FG gotcha. as well in Ireland. But yes, Fianna yeah. Fáil and Fingal. So, I'd like a little bit of background. Uh, so, what what years were you in Dublin? So I started in Dublin in two thousand five, and I left in two thousand twelve, in which I moved over to the UK. 
Yeah. So this is a perfect time because I think what we, the way I would frame it, uh, and I wonder what your sort of your analysis and your take on it is, is uh, austerity before and after the recession in 2008, which your time there sort of bookends yes. right, right in there, um, was sort of the turning point for you know, center-right governments or center-right coalitions and, and people finally sort of um, sort of push back against that uh, in a very historic way. So what was your feel for it when you were there? What was the austerity like and sort of what was the political scene like? Yeah, so of course those two parties have been in government since the founding of the Irish state. And the thing is, <laughs> as my... Um, First year, one of my first year law professors said, in America, the Democrats and the Republicans have ideas and that policies that they kind of more or less um, stick to, whether they're in government or out. So you will very rarely get a Democrat who gets into office and all of a sudden decides, okay, I'm anti-choice. You know, we disagree within the parties, of course, but a little bit of what they believe in is a little bit baked in. Well, the weird thing about Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael is which party you support is more or less based on how your family felt in the Civil War of 1926. So they don't really have policies so much as they basically have a platform of whatever the people want in a non-populist way. So obviously there's the business-friendly corporation tax, but they their ideas are kind of amorphous. So you start with that idea of not really having strong principles and not really a strong idea of who they are. And so Fianna Fáil, with the Greens in coalition, was in charge when the banks collapsed in 2008. Um, obviously, this is quite a personal one for me. My husband works in the construction industry in Ireland, which was basically totally wiped out. Um, so many people lost their jobs. It, you know, for a small country with such a history of immigration, it really impacted so many people's lives. Um, in the wave after that, uh, Fianna Fáil was voted out and Finn Gael was voted into power, which they've been ever since. So as part of this, we're cleaning up from what happened. Finn Gael really implemented those horrible austerity policies where the idea was that we are focused on balancing the books. We are cutting everything. We're cutting social welfare. So that's really what it's been the last few years yeah I, I mean i think with people there was a, a, a um, sort of a, it's known as a little bit of a tax haven as well corporate very corporate yes. friendly um and i know at a time at a, at a time because i come out of like a banking that um it's almost as if uh sort of the world bank and the davos set sort of picked it out as like oh it's an up-and-comer we're gonna go we're gonna go there um but obviously that doesn't it doesn't help anybody there, really. Yeah, I mean, so it's odd in that, of course, so I would say the EU has, has made a big positive difference to Ireland and that the infrastructure was invested in. But you're right, the Davos set, the Google has come, Facebook has come, Twitter has come. And really what's that done is the same thing we see in San Francisco, the mass amounts of gentrification, everything becomes unaffordable, the massive gap between the rich and the poor. Yeah, and... um. About that time, where where does the, I'm interested because the Greens were in coalition um, during when when the economy went went down, yeah. and you know there has been sort of left 
parties in government, the Greens and Labour too, in Ireland in, during history, not in any kind of power positions, but Sinn Féin has never been. Yeah. So, the of course, I don't know how much view, uh, listeners, I guess, understand, but because of the proportional representation system, Ireland only has coalition governments. So it's not like the UK where this is, the idea of a coalition is a new weird thing. In Ireland, it's always coalition. I see. So... It does tend to be one of these center-right parties and then a left, a more left group like the Greens or Labour. However, the weird thing is when these groups go into government, the compromises they have to make as a junior coalition partner kind of wipes them out. At the moment, there are only six Labour TDs after they were in coalition with Fine Gael um, in the not this doll, the 33rd, but during the 32nd. So they've been virtually wiped off the map. Uh, the Greens have just had a resurgence for the first time after being voted out in 2011. And so it seems like the voters who vote for them get very frustrated when they kind of lose their policies, lose their passion to the uh, to the senior partner in the coalition, which I think is a good lesson about compromising on your base. Yeah. You, you mentioned that. Um... A lot of party politics isn't really politics. It's all it's more like a, sort of a, a traditional within this group, we do this, you know, and it's not very ideological. And I wonder, um, because obviously Sinn Féin still has a connection to the IRA yeah. and the Army Authority. Allegedly. Well, I mean, allegedly <laughs> Israel has nuclear bombs. Um, but yeah, like what, how did that go down as, as there, I mean, it's always been popular, obviously, with um, the left and with the with small R Republican. Um, but yeah, I mean, what kind of was that? Uh, I, I imagine that that was a much talked about sort of thing um, d during this last election, just because this was going to be a historic thing. It did happen. Um, but that seems like something that would get a lot of press. Yes, it certainly did. So um, what you're talking about, I would recommend anyone who's really interested in the structure of Sinn Féin, uh, read the recent book by Sam McBride called Burned, Cash for Ash, which really goes into more the connection between, especially in the North, the Army Council, um, the legislators. But suffice to say, the big issue that's being made, you're right, is the connections with the IRA. Um, even though I should say that the current leader, Mary Lou McDonald, uh, is Dublin born and bred, absolutely no allegations that she was involved in the IRA as is the majority of most of her TDs. Jerry Adams just retired this time around. But I think more concerning to people is the idea that has been reported on that the Army Council is the one who makes policy. So instead of the TDs discussing it themselves and coming to an agreement, the Army Council supposedly imposes policy on them. Now, I have to say, for an Army Council, they're very woke. Um, they support specific. That's exactly what I was. My next question was going to be: How would you describe the the, the platform that has sort of uh, been able to mobilize and energize sort of this this wave of of sort of leftist politics? What's the constituency like, and what's their platform like? So weirdly, um, they have a very different kind of character in the north and in the south. So which one are you thinking um, more interested? Both. Give me both. Yeah. So weirdly, Northern Ireland is, <laughs> please, people are going to judge me, Alabama in a way, in that the one thing um, Sinn Féin and the DUP, their coalition partners in the North, were able to agree on was 
very anti-choice, very anti-gay rights, um, it not so great at combating racism. So um, I would really hesitate on considering Sinn Féin in the North to be a very progressive organization. But weirdly, in um, the Republic of Ireland, they've been a lot more so. And so I suppose it's because, I guess, there's a little bit of the cultural context. So they have been very much positioning themselves as the supporters of the working class, of calling for rent freezes, um, because housing is a major, major, major issue, of concerns about the health service. Something that really gained a lot of attention was a photo of a small child. Um, There was no bed for him in the hospital, so he was sleeping on the floor. And that kind of thing really, really spoke to people. And so I think that there is certainly a sense of these two parties, uh, FG and FF, are a little bit deadlocked and not making a change. And Sinn Féin is wanting to change things for young people, working class people, people like us. Yeah. I I, I read the, um, the Jacobin ran a, a pretty nice article, sort of a, a pretty good summary of sort of what we're talking about. Yeah. And uh, one of the things it did mention was housing was, was huge, rent control, um, because of the... As you said, because of the gentrification of the country, yeah. because of the capital uh, that's set up there, um, it, the rents have, have run away. We just we were just at a, a big kickoff um, for a big homes project in Wilmington to sort of understand homelessness and rentals and, and property ownership and all kinds of stuff. It was very well attended. Um, but it's like that everywhere. I think that's that was one of the connections that I made between their platform and some of the issues they were foregrounding and some of the stuff we're talking about here. Yeah. And I mean, the nice thing is that and probably a lot of it is historic um, due to all the issues with having your own land and being forced off the land. There is a sense in Ireland that no one should be homeless. That is kind of an agreed upon principle. Um, and some of the governments are doing things that are making people more homeless. And I do believe the vast majority of the population has a problem with that. And that's something I'd like to see here. Just the recognition that no one should be homeless. No one should be eight months pregnant and out in the cold, you know? Yeah, that was, it was a big issue in the UK election because you're seeing big increases. It's a big issue in the city because you're seeing big increases and it's just, um, we talked about it recently when we went and um, dissented at the meeting where we gave away four and a half million dollars to Amazon. And that same week, uh, four uh, homeless folks, they were rough sleeping in a tent like in Stanton, I guess. It was very close to where the box yeah. of plan is. Like the same day that they announced they're going to give this money, you know, four people die in the woods. And it's just, I don't, I don't, it's, it's hard for me to get, like almost wrap my head around it. Um, but I think that things like that, as it happened, as happened in Ireland, I think things like that are going to start sort of waking people up to uh, the fact of what's actually going on. I hope so because it's hard. No, yeah, you're right. No one should be sleeping in a tent. No, you know, it's not that we don't have space. And it's not that we don't have resources because yeah, exactly. we clearly do, uh, but we choose to use them uh, in a way that you know we're, we've we've come to believe that this strategy is the only thing you know, that we can do, um, but it's not. And I think people are starting to get hip to that. I'd like to see expectations as well. I, you know, sometimes it seems like <laughs> I don't even want to start to analyze the American psyche, but there's definitely something in that we have low expectations as to what the government should be able to do for us. 
that I'd like to see us demand a lot more. Yeah, and it's even it goes even further. You know, people say, you know, I don't with the with the healthcare debate. You know, people say, well, I don't want the government involved in healthcare. I don't trust the government. But right now, it's just boards. You know, Cigna and Blue Cross Blue Shield and Aetna and whatever they're deciding. I mean, do you trust them? Yeah. I, I don't. I think we have reason not to trust them. I mean, bureaucracies actually in the United States work pretty well. Um, but yeah, people um, they can't. They're, they're, it's very difficult to convince them of that. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll say that. The government that has really cracked reproductive rights seems to be non-existent. So when I find one that is a perfect model for that, I'll... Well, that's a good it. segue, too, because um, they had the, the referendum. Yes, for PLA. Abo- for, 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 yeah, for, for abortion rights. Because obviously, historically, Ireland is uh, very Catholic. I don't know how you would say I don't know what yes. qualifier there's would put on Extreme, super Catholic? There's a Darrow Breen joke that says, you know, I'm an atheist, but I'm culturally catholic like yeah, yeah, i don't yeah. believe in god but i hate the rangers yeah i mean it's kind of true nobody, yeah nobody likes the hoops um yeah what i i suspect that the big issue would would have been the you know the the, the, the sex scandals and the and the the molestation scandals and i guess the church itself sort of lost um the, the, the respect a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure people still, from a cultural standpoint, do it, but sort of the the gig was up about what was going on, about some of the orphanages back in the day and everything. And so I guess because of that sentiment, the 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 fires were hot for, like, getting rid of a vestige of that, of that era or so, that idea. So I would actually say the turning point was the death of Savita Halepanavar. Okay. Um, in Galway, who was refused an abortion um, when she was um, having a life-threatening miscarriage and was refused and died. Um, There had been deaths due to refusal of abortion services before, but I would say that was the point where it kind of started the snowball. Um, Ireland, in a lot of ways, is a small town. Remember, there's only 4 million people. And so there was a sense, a little bit of this Irish solution to the Irish problem where many, many, many women traveled to the UK to access abortion services, but it was never discussed. It was kept very quiet. It was something that everyone knew happened, but kind of had a group agreement not to talk about it. And when Savita Halepanavar died, there was an awareness that that is not something that's going to work for everyone um, and kind of began the snowball. First was the Protection of Human Life and Pregnancy Act. Um, which allowed doctors to uh, provide medically necessary abortions. And after that, there was a push for the referendum. And I think that the personal stories did make a huge difference, I think, coming forward. And people, you know, I I cannot imagine having... (laughs) Having the courage um, that some of those women did to be public about their stories, um, I, I have my own story of the reproductive health care in Ireland, and but women spoke about it and shared that and came forward about having a child who um, they knew was going to be born dead and having to explain to people that they couldn't access an abortion or... Um, having to travel with their partner and get the money together. And I think that's what made the difference. I think you're right. Um, the scandals probably contributed to the climate, 
But I also think there's a little bit of a recognition that you cannot take care of each other by exporting abortion. And I had been campaigning um, for access to abortion in Ireland for years, and it makes me feel really good to know that my son is a citizen of an Ireland that recognizes a woman's right to choose. Yeah, I I remember um, the, the stories were compelling, but it was mixed with, you know, uh, from here, so many um, people going back, so many women going back to vote yeah. from Australia, from the continent of Europe, from America, Canada. And it was just... Um, My husband went home to vote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you see all of that, and all of that together was like, wow, people can come together and, and do something. Yeah. You know, and, and sort of take, say people, you know, this isn't... This is medical care. Um, this is somebody's right to do what they want to do, and it's really not. We have this is this is a society. This is a step in the right direction for society. Yes. And the way everybody sort of came together and explained it through personal stories and through these sort of um, you know going home stories, it was it was really great. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Well, I I, I I'm just happy that we're able to highlight um, some progress in politics between yeah. the, you know because you know lately it hasn't been so great so, uh here it's 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 a it's a it's a knockdown drag out war so what's your what's your take on what's your take on what's going on in, here in our uh our neck of the woods uh you mean with the primary or yeah Delaware with everything or all of it yeah primary but delaware and the primary oh, um, God. so much has happened in the last few days just to give everybody a little time marker super tuesday was tuesday and it feels like it feels like a <laughs> hundred years 100 ago years ago yeah, so you know, as as you guys know by now, the Repub the uh, Republicans, yeah, <laughs> Freudian slip. Yeah, Freudian. Uh, the 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 corporate, you know, Obama got everybody on the phone and told them what to do, and they did it. You know, bully for them. Um, we had a little split sort of problem, but um, Elizabeth Warren dropped out this morning. She hasn't endorsed anyone yet, but you know, she uh, sort of bowed out, and everybody's kind of give left. her a couple of days. Everybody's kind of processing <laughs> that. I saw um, I saw something on social media today that basically said I think it was Ben Dixon. Um, he said, you know, it's hard when people drop out. Just give every give everybody the space for a few days, let everybody breathe, and then let's let's, let's see how it shakes out. Yeah, well, we don't have another primary for what Tuesday, another week? right? Yeah. Michigan's Tuesday. Yeah, so I think. So I, I'd say we can give her a couple of days to. I'm I'm cool with that. Yeah, I'm cool with that. I mean, I'm I'm a you know I'm a Bernie bro from way back. Um, but you know, I'll I'll deal with however it shakes out. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bitch about it. You know, I, I'm I'm sure that, um, you know the, the the coalescing around Biden, after after South Carolina, but Warren staying in. I mean, hurt Bernie. It's just what it, the way it is. But that's just politics. It's just how it works. Like, there's no point in like crying about it. Um, we got to move on from here. See I think what we, happens. I think, regardless, American Samoa would have been a lost cause. Oh my God, <laughs> fucking Bloomberg! Well, that's you know that, that what's cool about that is that. Well, here's the funny thing: we we go, you know, we're talking about he's a Republican. He's stopping frisk, and he immediately drops out after spending like half a billion dollars, um, and he just endorses Biden. <laughs> like so everybody's almost on the same team to begin with. It really just shows what was really going on. 
That's what people don't like. The amount of money that we're talking about, I don't even think people can conceptualize. I can't. Uh, we were talking about this in work, actually, where we were all like, OK, well, if you had unlimited money and, you know, we could kind of get to all of us, you know, spending a couple million, maybe, you know, we'd pay off our mortgage. You'd never fly coach again, would you? But none of us could get anywhere near even a bill like that amount of money. I just can't. And it's, and, it's, and, and, it's, and, and not only is it that amount of money that you can't really even conceptualize, what he has it, you know, what he has it doing, you know, through this network of sort of nonprofits and, you know, which is just a, a way that he can move money around to pay bribes. You know, that's how he became a third term mayor of New York. You know, he was able to change the law and get people to agree with, with to agree with him to do it. By basically being like, oh, I'm going to grant your uh, your nonprofit five million dollars. You know, that's how Stacey Abrams sat next to him at the church a couple uh, in Selma last week or whatever. I think it was last week because he, you know, he gave money to her uh, her voting thing. Now again, I like Stacey Abrams, but I mean, that's why every that's why mayors uh, endorsed him because he's you know big into the mayor whatever mayors need. You know, yeah. so, so it really, I mean, it's just it's almost like. What? He's just doing it out in the open. <laughs> Don't you people see what he's doing? But again, he does that, but now he's like, oh, Biden's fine. So it just goes to show you where the real, where people's loyalties are and what people really want. I admit my attention the last couple of days has been really focused on the court case happening in the Supreme Court rehearing. Oh, yes. Yeah, the trap law. Well, why don't you, yeah, I mean, um, obviously in, in this house, uh, Nurse Susan's been filing that as well, but why don't you explain like what's going on, um, what the case is and what it means? Yeah, so it's actually quite similar to the case they heard two years ago. Um, and this one is about a law in Louisiana that requires every doctor who provides abortion to be accredited at a hospital within 30 miles. Um, and as most people involved in reproductive rights know, that's ridiculous. Uh, abortion providers in a conservative place like Louisiana are never going to be admitted um, as attending physicians at a hospital. They rarely perform surgical abortions at some of these clinics. They're just medical abortions where it's purely pill-based. Um, the complication rate amongst abortions is incredibly small, far, far smaller than childbirth. Um, and so really the purpose of these laws is to close clinics down and to prevent women from accessing abortions. And so there is no good reason um, that the Louisiana federal court decided to um, enforce this law, which meant that it had to be appealed to the Supreme Court. I think there is a hope that since we have the new conservative justices, that they will overturn the law, which would basically mean that while they would not officially overturn Roe versus Wade, it would mean that abortion access would become incredibly polarized. Um, luckily in Delaware, we've implemented Roe versus Wade and there's a movement to continue broadening abortion access, but it would mean that we would have to open up our couches and homes to women traveling from Louisiana and Alabama um, who'd have to come here to access an abortion service. Yeah, I mean, I think some of us are ready to do that if necessary. So we're ready to do a lot of stuff because things are uh, sort of seem to be going in an authoritarian direction, reactionary direction. Um, but I think there was there was signs um, that we could potentially get a, a good a good result. Uh, I hope so. I, I, you know, um, I've read a little bit about the arguments, and you know, obviously, 
you never know until it's over because it's very secretive, but you know, people sort of read the tea leaves. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, I look at that as just another one uh, of these things in a long list of, you know, I knew it would be bad. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, we're going to have problems at the border. We're going to have concentration camps at the border. We're going to, you know, we're not dealing with it. This other public health issue with the, the coronavirus. And uh, we're not I will dealing be... with that well. We're not uh, overseas. You know, we don't, we're, we're, we're you know, it, it's just a big money grab. But everything's bad. <laughs> and this is another one of those things where, yeah, I knew, I kind of knew this would, you know, a lot of these lawsuits are now going to be pushed through because the court's now packed. Um, thanks, Chris Coons, for helping yeah. out with that. Um, Coons out. Um, but yeah, this is one of the things that, you know, I suspected would get pretty bleak, and it's it's pretty bleak. And I just, I has Chris Coons or Tom Carper? They've done nothing to work on the Hyde Amendment, you know. That, and I'm so was so glad to see that Jessica Rain is really supportive of, as was Carrie Evelyn Harris, of making sure that women on Medicaid can access abortion services. It is ridiculous that this is not something that we provide to everyone who needs it. Yeah, and well, we're going to be having that argument here. Uh, yeah, probably actually, too. Well, you. This is one thing that my experiences in Ireland, the UK, that I get a bit worried is that I worry that if we had Medicare for all with a President Trump, that he would do everything he could to limit abortion services on it. Is that something you worry about or think about a lot? I mean, I think that. A lot of the stuff is going to be codified, and once it is, it's very difficult to go back. Um, I don't know what you're feeling. I mean, Britain has had the National Health Service for 70 years, whatever it is. Um, now, of course, they, like Ireland too, have been victors, victims of austerity yeah. and just money, just cut off money. But I don't know whether it's been particular political sort of reactionary things like abortion or other sort of maybe transgendered stuff or whatever. I, I don't know. Ha, has that happened any anywhere else? I mean, they've, there's been some, I mean, there's one right now. I mean, there's been reactionary governments in, in England. So, you know, has, has anything like that happened? Um, well, first of all, Boris Johnson and his, what, six, seven, eight, who knows, kids is actually pro-choice. Um, yeah. Probably for obvious reasons. Um, so the more the issue is access. So there are places in the north of England where you would have to, like, luckily it's smaller, but there are long places where you'd have to travel quite a bit in order to access. And I guess that would be, you know, uh, nobody has gotten it completely right. Um, I don't think, like, we certainly don't have a great system now. So that's something where I guess I'd like us to build something even better than they have in Britain or Ireland regarding providing abortions for everyone. But that's something where I don't think I've wrapped my head around exactly how we would protect it in the best way. And I'm kind of always curious what other people are thinking. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I, I refer to this book quite often called Democracy in Chains. And um, McLean is her name. I can't remember her first name, but it's basically about the fight over, you know, basically FDR's fight to get whatever social programs we have. Yeah. And then the fight since the 50s to, you know, with the Koch brothers and, and these kind of groups to take them all back. So 
do I expect that once we get something like Medicare for all or some sort of um, you know free public university or whatever, um, are they are the reactionaries going to fight back? Is capital going to strike back? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't know. Um, you know, would it would they target something like that on cultural grounds? Yeah, maybe. I don't put it. I don't put it past. Them. Yeah. You know, I could, but it could be. But again, I, I my my view of it is even broader that whatever we get, it's. I mean, it's never safe. Yeah. That's what history's told us that. So yeah, I'm. I I just think like, I tr- I try not to. The idea that capital will push back, is just baked into the cake. Like I, I that's going to happen. So just steal your resolve. Like win whatever, get whatever you can get, and then get more. Like it's never really done. Yeah. No, I think it's going to be a lifelong fight, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, Shen Feng's been fighting for a little while. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> the Chuckier Law, their time actually has come. So I don't know. Actually, at the so you know, as of this moment, there is no government formed in Ireland. Okay. How long do they have to do that? indefinitely oh, last no, time like, it took off? there's no legal cutoff it's more that people get annoyed the last one took 74 days so at the moment I, I was again reading the headlines this morning in preparation for this pretty much everyone wants to go into opposition um it'll be hard it'll be hard for Sinn Féin to form a government um it's very unlikely that they'll be able to do that without Fianna Fáil the current leader of Fianna Fáil is very opposed to doing any kind of deal with Sinn Féin um, they, Sinn Féin really doesn't have the numbers to do a grand left coalition. Yeah. So yeah, because there's there's a it. couple. Um, I don't know uh, what the Labour and the Greens what position they're in, and I also know there's another leftist party called like People Before Profits or yeah, some kind Richard, of solidarity party. Yeah, Richard Boyd Barrett. Yeah, so. which I just I mean obviously the name I like. But, so I would so is say there any, is there any I know that they these other parties exist. I don't know what their numbers are, how or how they did in the election, or whether. Uh, any improvement there would build some other uh, some other base that could be in a coalition. So the weird thing is, so first of all, the Greens are very different in Ireland than they are here. Here they're very left. In Ireland, they'd, you know, if if you were a Pete Buttigieg voter, you'd vote for the Greens. I see. You know, so it's kind of that, yeah, light. Um, and Labor, yeah, struggled with their connection with austerity. Um, but people before profits, uh, the social democrats, all these really leftist groups um, are working hard, but they—I just don't think they have the numbers. Well, to be determined, folks. Um, yeah, by the time this is released, they might have a government. Maybe. So. Hey, fingers crossed. Um, well, that was great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate you coming in. So nice to be here, folks. We've come to the end of another episode. I want to thank our unofficial official sponsor, Two Stones Pub. I got some uh, 2SP pills. I also have some Delco Lager down there. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Two Stones. The best kind of beer is uh, free beer. I'm over the moon that him Harris is out. I saw a photo of him hugging his mom, and I cried this morning because we got a good record in here. Uh, But what we have to do now is keep our eye on the police because what we uh, have noticed is that um, the the same cop has now been switching out barrels of his gun to uh, who knows why. I think we know why, but we'll be on that too. 
So, everybody strap in, folks. It's going to be a wild political ride. We're going to be in the streets about getting something done with this cop. It's going to be wild stuff. And we're, we, we need sort of some international solidarity to say we are winning victories places. Things are happening. Um, and as always, here and in Ireland, left is best. Cheers, everybody.